Hello and welcome to the IPSO podcast. We are IPSO, the Independent Press Standards Organisation, the independent regulator of the majority of the UK's newspapers and magazines. These podcasts are for anyone who is interested in journalism, the media, how it's regulated and of course IPSO's work. My name is Rosemary Deuce and I'm the Standards Officer at IPSO. I'm your host and today I'm joined by Teresa Parker from Women's Aid. Today we are talking about the reporting of domestic abuse, particularly in connection with a new information leaflet for the public which we've just published. So hi Teresa, welcome to the podcast and would you like to introduce yourself? Hi Rosemary, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Um, my name is Teresa Parker, I'm Head of Media Relations and Communications at Women's Aid. We're Women's Aid Federation of England and we're a member organisation, so we've got around 170 local domestic abuse organisations around the country. Great. So, uh, as I just mentioned, we've recently published new information for the public about the reporting of domestic abuse, which we launched at the Women's Aid National Conference in Birmingham, where we presented a workshop. The leaflet is intended for survivors and victims of domestic abuse, their families and friends, and organisations who support them. It covers the rules the press should follow and can help people to decide whether they want to speak to the press about their experiences or not. So, first of all, Teresa, how and why does the press report on domestic abuse? Domestic abuse is an issue that, sadly, every day will be in the news. Very rarely is it actually called domestic abuse. You're more likely to see the words domestic abuse if it's a campaign, which is targeted at either raising awareness or making a campaigning change. But the majority of domestic abuse coverage will be news in brief, it will be the everyday crime that happens within the home or where an ex-partner takes revenge or attacks or stalks somebody. And we don't use the term domestic abuse because it's rarely completely understood. Until quite recently, domestic abuse was usually referred to as domestic violence, so people thought it meant just physical abuse. And since the change in legislation in 2015, where coercive control became against the law, we now start to understand that domestic abuse can be all forms of abuse, which can be emotional, psychological, physical, sexual, and a pattern of abuse. And we're really keen to help raise awareness that domestic abuse encompasses all of these abusive behaviours. And what are some of the concerns that you've had in the past, perhaps, about coverage or, or present day coverage of the subject? Often, some of the concerns that we have are related to unintentional victim-blaming language. Quite often, when domestic abuse is reported, reports are taken from court reports, and judges' comments are reflected directly back into the copy. Sometimes agency copy is used, and often perpetrators are referred to as being jealous, they're referred to as being provoked in some way, and reports can unintentionally make it sound as if the person who's been abused is in some way at fault and it's their behaviour that's been the catalyst for the abuse. What would you say that you and Women's Aid have done in response to some of these concerns that you've raised? So when we get a response from either a survivor um, or a member organisation that contacts us and asks us to take action, that can involve quite a wide range of actions. Sometimes they want to complain about the way that a survivor of domestic abuse has been directly or indirectly blamed for the abuse she's experienced. Sometimes it can be something which is really practical. So, for example, in a local newspaper, 
as part of the report, um, the journalist has included something which identified the location of a refuge. Well, refugees are secure because women and children escape to refuges, often when their lives are in danger, and the confidentiality of that address is absolutely crucial. And the journalists that we contacted and their editor did not realise the consequences of what had been published. So while it went out into the physical copy of the newspaper, we were able to change that online mm -hmm. and we were able to provide information about actually why that was dangerous. So quite often I think there's an assumption that when something goes wrong that it's because the journalist is trying to achieve that while actually raising awareness and building relationships is a much more effective way. Mm -hmm. So what we've tried to do is to establish good relationships with individual journalists but also whole news teams and editors so we're able to roll out training, increase awareness and where things do happen approach things in a way where we can jointly learn and learn from each other because that in my experience seems to really create positive change. Yeah that sounds really good and I understand you've produced some guidelines um, for journalists, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about those? So the guidelines which I wrote, which um, are published on the IPSO website, are just designed to be really practical. I'm really aware that today, with online news, many journalists are writing so many articles every day. Hundreds and hundreds are coming out from one title, so the pace of news has increased. And I wanted to write something with that in mind, something which is a crib sheet that is quick to read, digest and understand. Um, and hopefully is easy to use on a day-by-day -day basis. So within the guidelines, what I addressed was, first of all, what is domestic abuse? So including coercive control, talking about non-physical abuse, just so you understand what not only the legal definition is, but actually what domestic abuse feels like. So the pattern of abusive behaviour and feeling trapped within that. Um, and then I go on to different ways of describing domestic abuse, because now domestic abuse is used more than domestic violence. We talk about controlling behaviour. We talk about survivors instead of victims, unless it's criminal justice based. And we know that in our experience, that if you've experienced domestic abuse, you rarely want to be categorised as a victim. You want to talk about the abuse you've survived. And obviously, sadly, so many women do not survive domestic abuse. So part of the information we include is about the prevalence. Uh, I think People do know that domestic abuse is common, but it shocks many people to know that three women are killed every fortnight in the UK by a current or ex-partner, uh, that 1.6 million women every year in England and Wales experience domestic abuse, and that by knowing the scale and understanding that if you're reporting on crime, if you're reporting on stories, that whether that's features or whether that's news, there's domestic abuse that will be in so many of the stories, even if you don't realise that it counts as domestic abuse. Um, so, for example, that could be because of their age, so it could be teenagers in their first relationships. When we're talking about gaslighting and love bombing, you could be talking about what's on Love Island, you could be talking about Netflix. And also, domestic abuse can land not in the places in the newspaper where you would assume. It affects sports, that we, we run a campaign around football and domestic abuse for that very reason. Um, so you could be looking at everything from the problem page to the features to the sports to the front page. Um, so what I've tried to do within the guidance is to just explain how prevalent it is and the different ways that that can happen and the ways you can report on it. Um, I've got some notes in it on, um, on court reporting and some of the challenges there and try to respond to some of the feedback that I've had from journalists I've worked with about those challenges. And some of the feedback that we have from um, survivors or friends of family of women who have been killed is where you've got 
somebody who survived domestic abuse or you've got somebody who's been killed in their family contact us and you've got the woman's face next to the perpetrator that is, happens frequently in print it happens frequently online as well and there was something specific when we got feedback from survivors of abuse and we spoke about it that it was something which initially it was like that can't be changed that's just the way we do it and actually there wasn't a reason why that had to be done that way and we explained the impact and because you have that relationship we were able to change that but within the guidance we just acknowledge that because obviously we're not working with everybody with every news team or every new journalist so there's just things which we include very much from our learning and then the other thing is signposting because one of the most useful things you can do is if you're writing about domestic abuse if you're able to signpost to where you can get help and support so that could be the women's safe website or live chat um, or we've got a website for young people called Love Respect. If you do that, you could really change the way that somebody digests that information and that news, whether it resonates with them and whether they decide to get help and support. So, as you were saying, the press have many reasons for reporting on domestic abuse in all kinds of um, situations, including court cases, which can be very common and is something that survivors may not be aware of, that their court case can be reported on. Um, and we know that some people do want to speak to the press maybe about their experiences. So what have you found and what support can Women's Aid provide if, if people will come to you and say that they do want to speak to the press? One of the important things we can do in our work at Women's Aid and what I've been doing for the last two decades during my time at Women's Aid has been working out the best way to support survivors who want to speak to the media. It can be really frightening to talk to journalists if you've gone through a court case, if you're traumatised, if you're vulnerable. Um, and also, in my experience, what I've found is that sometimes you get women who have survived abuse and they have a lot of adrenaline, they want their story on the front page and they're not thinking about the safety around that. And what we're able to do is to work in a way where you look at the women's needs, you look at the risk assessment around that, and I've got a risk assessment that I run through with women about women, their children, um, looking at all of the variables. So, for example, you might think that if the perpetrator's now in prison, that you can do anything and that nothing's going to happen. Well, you can access newspapers in prison. A lot of domestic abuse sentencing, sadly, is quite short. And people who are in prison are able to speak to family and friends as well. So it's not a case of if you're identified in a newspaper and your partner, ex-partner's in prison, that nothing's going to happen. So we talk through... What could happen? Who's likely to see that? Um, we look at whether being anonymous is the safest decision. And if the survivor decides on balance that they'd like to be identified, we look at everything and talk through every situation that could potentially happen so that any um, decision made is one where we've considered every aspect of safety and every aspect of risk during that. And then practically what we can do is we can effectively be the middle person between the survivor and the title or the journalist and to help manage expectations, talk about if there's any red lines or things that you can't talk about, to be there, to be able to stop things if they're in a situation where they don't feel safe and to be able to assure the survivor that during that process that we'll make sure it's what we've mutually agreed and if that changes we're able to intervene, we're, we're there for them and I think that if you're in that situation where you feel pressurised to say something you didn't want to, for example many survivors who've been through sexual abuse 
will talk about different aspects of abuse but find that too difficult to talk about and we reassure survivors you don't have to talk about absolutely everything that's ever happened to you that we can agree in advance what we're going to do and if that becomes uncomfortable if it becomes distressing then we're the people who are able to kind of to step in but also really explain to the journalist who's reporting on this why and um, I think the most important thing is being able to work with people that you trust and build relationships and that works from survivors working with us having very genuine relationships based on trust but also for journalists and for titles working with us and during my time at Women's Aid we've worked with many amazing journalists who've become really genuine campaigners to help end domestic abuse and really supported our campaigns. That's really good to hear, that's great. Um, we know uh, at Ipso that some people don't want to speak to the press and we do have some information and advice in the leaflet about things that people can do. So for example, if you're listening and you're worried about press harassment, you can contact Ipso 24 hours a day by phone and in certain circumstances we can send what we call a privacy notice which passes on specific requests uh, to the newspaper industry. And Obviously, you're also able to complain about articles in newspapers and magazines that we regulate. Um, all our regulated newspapers and magazines, both print and online, follow a set of rules, which is the Editor's Code of Practice. Um, just to briefly say that a couple of the clauses which are relevant would be Clause 1, which relates to accuracy, and Clause 2, about privacy. And there's much more information about the code on our website. But if you read an article and you think the code has been breached, then you can complain to Ipso, and the best way to do this is by going to our website and clicking on the Make a Complaint section on the homepage. So for any journalists listening, what would you say, I know you've obviously mentioned the guidance, but what would be your sort of top tips for them um, when reporting on domestic mm -hmm. abuse? If you're reporting on domestic abuse, listen to the survivor. If they don't want to speak to you, then don't push them. They've already been through something incredibly traumatic. And one of the most valuable things of having Ipso at our national conference is to reassure our members that that information and support is out there. And I think sharing information and being really clear that you don't have to speak to the press and that there are boundaries around that. However, explaining that when you've got something which is in the public domain, where it might be reported to help kind of manage expectations of what's likely to happen, and to know that they're able to reach out to an organisation like Women's Aid if they need support. So I would say to journalists listening, to be aware that there is that support out there, and if you're speaking to a survivor who doesn't want to engage with the press, refer on to that information. However, if you're reporting on domestic abuse and you're working with a survivor, listen to them about their experiences and engage with a domestic abuse charity if you can, like Women's Aid, who have expertise in doing this. Please do look at the guidance which has been developed around how to report domestic abuse in a way that is responsible, that is empowering for the survivors um, and that helps to raise awareness and link through to information that could change somebody's life. And I can't emphasise it enough, the stories that are told in the press, that are told in newspapers and magazines, can and do change lives. So by making some small tweaks to the way that survivors of domestic abuse are described, by talking about the fact they've survived abuse, but also explaining the gravitas of domestic abuse, taking it really seriously, and linking through to support, that can make an enormous difference to women's lives reading it. 
That's brilliant, thank you. And do you have any sort of final thoughts or anything else you'd like to share about the work that you do? I think if you're engaging with the charity around the issue of domestic abuse, do not assume that charities want to tell you what you're doing wrong, that actually many charities, including Women's Aid and myself included, absolutely love working with newspapers and magazines, want to work with you to help make standards better around reporting domestic abuse. Sometimes when it goes wrong, it can have negative consequences. When it goes right, it saves lives. Um, so don't underestimate the power that you've got. And please do reach out to Women's Aid if you'd like to find out more. Great. Thank you very much for your time today, Teresa. Um, just to say that Ipsos Leaflet is available on our website and we also have print copies which we can send to refugees and any other organisations who work with survivors and victims. If you're listening and you have any questions, you can get in touch with us via our website. You can also let us know what you think about the podcast via Twitter and Facebook. And thank you again, Teresa, for your time. It's been really interesting and helpful. Thank you.